welcome to another edition of the Grizzden Pod. Ty's here. Hey. Bradley's here as well. Let's go. A lot has happened since our last episode. Um, we had just watched the Celtics game, and it was very somber. Uh, we could see our season ending um, right before our eyes. However, um, I would say that how it played out wasn't necessarily how we were expecting in, in regards to the game itself. I think we... we we're all expecting the season to maybe end with more of a whimper than it did, or at least I was. Um, but between the last time we talked, we were we qualified for the playing game against Portland as the ninth seed, which which meant we had to beat Portland twice in order to make the playoffs. Um, and we did not beat them in game number one. However, we made it very competitive. It came down to the wire. Um, ja had one of his best games of the season. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna debrief the season um, and that game specifically here soon. Uh, but also we had the NBA draft lottery where the Grizzlies uh, ended up falling exactly to where they were projected, which was pick number 14. And uh, that meant we conveyed our draft pick to Boston since it didn't fall into the top six. So that happened. We'll talk about that briefly uh, as well. And also just a bit of NBA news. Uh, the Board of Governors recently met and decided to push back the NBA draft and the start of free agency. It was initially scheduled for free agency was initially scheduled for October 18th, and it has now been pushed back to a date that has not been determined. Um, the reason why is because they had targeted December 1st, according to Woj, as a potential date to start for the 2020-2021 season. And they really want fans in the arena. And that was the main reason cited for pushing back uh, all these dates. And so uh, the league is working to uh, find a solution there. So we won't have free agency as soon as we thought, um, which I think a lot of teams are okay with. Uh, let's, so let's start there real quick. And, and just to, to set up this pod further, we are the theme of this pod is going to be our 2019-2020 our awards for the Grizzlies this season. We have 10 categories, and we've talked about this beforehand. We have some nominees we're going to each bring up, and then we're going to discuss and come up with who we think should win the award, and we're also going to post each of these questions slash categories uh, on social so you can uh, vote as well as tweet or Instagram back at us and say, you know, who do we miss? Who would you have voted for? So It's like the Dundies. It's just like the Dundies, except, you know, even better, right? What can we call this? <laughs> the Denny's? <laughs> we should have agreed on a name beforehand because the, our creative chops are clearly showing, or Todd's creative chops are showing. <laughs> uh, we will all be brainstorming during the pod, but if we don't come up with something, uh, we need our listeners to, to fire back a name. So we have something for next year. It's the Denny's. The Denny's. Okay, Ty. That's Ty's nominee. So. Spelled like a den. <laughs> totally. I love it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so let's start. Let's go first. Um, let's go backwards from what I just talked through. So the NBA postponing. Uh, any any initial reactions to that um, when you saw that report come through? No, not really. Um, December first seemed like a a reach, maybe. Uh, anyway, I agree. And I know a lot of people were thinking like it'd be really cool if Christmas Day was the first like opening. Opening day of the NBA season was Christmas because, you know, they have that big Christmas Day extravaganza type thing. So that would kind of be fun. 
Um, I can't wait for the Grizz to play on Christmas Day in like three or four years. It's going to be nuts. Have they ever played on a Christmas Day? I of don't course think not. So. Not even close. Um, we have MLK Day, though, which is fun. Uh, no, not really. No no real thoughts on it because they, they didn't give us any other answers either. So they didn't push it back to a certain date. They just pushed it back. We don't know till we don't know when. Yeah, I don't. No comment. It doesn't really. It doesn't have a big effect on. I just think like it was one of those announcements that I mean it's a big deal. Anytime you change an official date, but everything has already been changed once, so it's not like changing it again is as big of a deal. Yeah, and it's not changing it from something that was like when they changed it from. I guess that was a few years ago when they changed it from like the end of October to the middle of October start date, and they weren't going to do as many like back to backs and three games and four nights and all that kind of stuff. That was different because that was like the schedule had been that way for so long. Right. Whereas this change is like, we don't know. We didn't know what was going to happen anyway. So this is like, yeah, nothing was set in stone to begin with. So, yeah. Nothing I agree. to really go off of. I do. I am encouraged by the, at least it might be a PR thing right now, but I do love that they want fans and they're going to try yeah, and like make that happen. I, if I had to put money down, I don't, I don't see fans happening at least to start the season. Right. And least. pushing it back, pushing back, because if they push back the season, you would think that would also push back training camp. And if y'all kept up with the Grizz and the bubble, injuries were definitely a thing. So that's kind of good maybe for us to, because I know Jaron had that small surgery. Apparently it was a really easy surgery and no no harm done. It went really well, so he should be back going anyway. But still, Tyus being out, longer to recover, Justice being out, just kind of gives us – we should be a full go, absolutely, to start the season. We shouldn't be, like, rushed when it comes to health, which yeah, is good. 100%. Um, all right, so lottery also happened. Um, definitely not as exciting as last year's, I would say. Uh, but just so um, I can have you guys' opinion, I'll show, share mine on the record. Were you team convey or were you team, you know, be happy with or try to try to get a top six and be – Excited about that. Team convey all the way. I think, yeah, I think team convey too. Unless we've gotten like the number one pick, that would have been cool. But our chances of that was, I think, 0.5%. Who would you take number one overall? Great question. I don't know. So At the moment. Okay. It'd still be really cool to have the number one pick. Like Not in a year that the draft sucks. That's true. And to give up next year's, which would be Quote unprotected, unquote. which means no matter what the pick is, Boston would get it. That would be a real bummer if we would have like – yeah, that would have sucked if we would have gotten the number one next year and then had to convey it. And I guess this just means that the only thing like lingering from the Chris Wallace era is um, two players on our team, Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks. So that pick going out of the way, we're just like one step closer to being completely removed from that front office. We have erased <laughs> any record of Jeff Green. No, He's gone. <laughs> He's gone. I think I was also team convey mostly because of the quality of the draft, but also um, I think one of the key themes of our um, conversations this offseason is going to be projecting out where the Grizzlies are going to fall in the Western Conference standings next year. Totally. And I think that there's a great chance that we could be in a similar lottery position. Um, And I would hate the... um, just not even to have a pick in the first round. Yeah. So it's kind of like, would you rather have a top five? You could think of it this way. Would you rather have a top five this year or top five next year? Because exactly. you can't have both. 
Right. And I would rather have a top five next year. We may not have a we may maybe a top ten next year. But I would rather have a top ten next year than I would a top five this year, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you also just gotta think that this was the potential goal of the front office. Um maybe just kind of reading between the lines on things and like the way we've sort of played our hand and like competing this entire season. Um so uh and with the reports of the draft, who knows? This draft could wind up being incredible and everybody has no idea what they're talking about. It's true. Uh I that doesn't feel like that's gonna be the case, but I'm just I'm glad we're done. I'm glad that we can move on. It worked out perfectly. Like we competed crazy hard. We didn't like do a process year, right? We really fought, tried to win, um, came up short in a glorifying defeat, if that's even a term. Um and didn't quite make it, and then everything played out because everyone, most Grizz fans would have, if you would have pulled them, would you rather convey this year, everyone would have pretty much said yes. Um, but they also didn't want to go about it in such like a, I don't know, we win 15 games and just look awful and then get unlucky in the lottery. Instead, we fought like crazy, played really hard, played well, and everything played out as such. So I think it just it worked out well, as good as it could have. Speaking of glorifying defeat, let's move to our final game against Portland. Uh, lost by four, 126-122. Um, guys, John Morant had just a ridiculous game, 35 points. Um, Jonas had 22-17. and 17. Dylan had 20 as well, not shooting as poorly as he has been. And then Brandon also, you know, was banging threes, had 20 points. How many threes did he hit? Did he go three for six? I think he hit at least three. Let me check. But um, He had some big, like a big corner three down the stretch, too. Yeah, he did. Um, but while I'm searching really for well. that, what were, your, what were your thoughts on that game? Um, and just how did you feel like the team competed and, and everything? How, did it go as you were expecting, et cetera, et cetera? What were your th- y'all's I, thoughts? I think that it... Uh, we sort of knew that as soon as Jaron went down with, especially with no Tyus and we meaning like we had seen throughout the bubble, how much of an impact that was having just on rotations and how the performance of the second unit was that it was going to put more pressure um, on players where we just, unless if Dylan just somehow started being unconscious then we it was going to be tough for us to compete against some of these top teams um and so for me I left that game feeling really positive um because this season so much of this season is going to be just about John Morant and what his potential is um as an individual and as a potential to like lead this team as um a potential superstar and he played in that game, like a super, like a potential superstar, he played like a superstar, but he played like and competed like one who could be a superstar in the future. Um, with his production, with his leadership on the court, with the way he was going toe to toe against top guards in the league, um, and it just it was a great for me. I would, there was um, a, a friend of mine that I was texting with, and we both agreed that it just felt like. Uh, you know, y'all are friends, but not. We weren't texting about this. Yeah, Sorry, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> not, Man, it's okay. Yeah, that yeah. comment, but it just we still have each other. <laughs> there, this whole season was positive, 
And that game, it just felt great to leave on such, even though it was a loss, it was such a positive loss. You saw it, it just to see Ja go out that way, having his career best from a points production perspective. And just, I mean, at time, I mean, Portland has always had this season, they've had um, difficulty um, getting stops on defense, but he just, at times, Ja just looked unguardable and he was, and he didn't even have his outside shot going that well I mean he he hit a couple shots but it wasn't like he was three for six from three which is better than he normally shoots but it didn't he didn't necessarily hit them and like no he wasn't unconscious like Brandon who went actually four for five I just looked at oh wow from three yeah that's insane Dylan also four for five from three we must mention um no I, I thought so I thought it was appropriate um as Grizzlies fans we are traumatized by the side of CJ McCollum I thought it was just appropriate that he just came through in the final minutes. I'm still waiting on that Grizz killer. I know it's. I thought analysis. about it as soon as I watched that game. I was like, <laughs> "Shoot, where did that?" So I have, yeah, I have something big coming at some point. Uh, I cannot promise when it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, however, I, d- I agree. I think that um, if you listen to the last two podcasts, you will clearly hear how frustrated we were and. Um, I would say that we probably represented most of Grizzlies fans out there as well who are passionate about the team. We just hated seeing our team playing this poorly um, with with the lack of um, depth that we had due to injury or trade from earlier in the season. And But just to come out and, like, like you said, you end on a positive note. You're go- not going to the season or into the offseason with your heads hanging. You've you actually fought on national TV, and you got beat by a team who is legitimately good. Um, they beat the Lakers in game one. Like, they're not, you know, pushover. So. One more thing maybe before Ty jumps in. I want One of the reasons why I think I left feeling like that game went the way that I wanted it to, who led our team in attempts? Uh, John Morant. Yeah, had, and by a wide times, margin, he led times. the team in attempts. Like that, I moving forward next year, like for Grizzlies fans to start feeling good about like what this coaching staff is doing and what the team is doing is that like we really have two or two players right now that we want leading the team in attempts, and it's John ja Jaron. It's got to be the case. Yeah. In the in the discussion, like, and you see in that game, I never felt like we were out of it because Ja was the one. Now maybe Ja's long term trajectory is not to be an attempts leader in shots but for the current roster that's the case for me and I'm saying that also knowing that I do I don't think that it will like ruin he's he's a smart enough player to where if he leads the team in attempts for a couple seasons and then eventually gets more talent around him he's gonna go he's he's gonna be a true point guard and dish it if he needs to but right now we need him to lead us in attempts at times the one frustrating part, I totally agree, um, and I was just l- looking back at sort of some text that I had during that game, and one of the most frustrating things that I noticed that we did was we every time Dame drove, which everybody does this, but we would collapse, and then Mello had that shot at the end, where it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just, so we had those like young sort of team type of mistakes, but yet at the end of the day, you had Ja being Ja, and you had the rest. I felt like everyone else played their role perfectly. Like even down to Dylan, who was he was not settling for insane shots. He wasn't taking 
four or five dribbles and pulling up at mid-range, going one direction and shooting at the other. Like You then had BC, who was as efficient as ever. You had Jonas, who had 17 rebounds and just controlled the paint as much as he could against Nurkic, uh, which those two guys were like the two leading scorers, I'm pretty sure, at halftime or something like that. They were like dueling. Um, and then the only guy who was kind of disappointing was Grayson. He was 0 for 1 for, from 3, and I think he only had a couple points. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, it was just a great game. Fun to watch. Um, any other, anything else on that? I'll, yeah, I'll piggyback off what Tub said. Ja was super aggressive, and we've called for him to be more aggressive in times where we just need a guy to, like, take the rock and make something happen down the stretch. And Ja did it time and time again, whether that was, like, he was beating everybody off the dribble, and he was just getting in the lane whenever he wanted, whether he was finishing at the rim or kicking it out to, again, like the, the fact that BC went four for five from three, they were wide open looks. Dylan, like you said, played his role, just stand there and catch a pass. You're going to be wide open and shoot. Ja took over the game there for a little bit, for a little stretch. And for your, I guess he just turned 21, your 21-year-old 20 year rookie point guard to take over a game of that magnitude against arguably the hottest player in the entire world right now in Dame. And he played pretty good defense against McCollum. McCollum just hit crazy shots. And, like, that's what he does. Like, he just hits crazy shots. Especially against us. Um, but to see Ja, like, compete on the defensive end, too, like, he played pretty good defense. I think moving forward, yeah, this is super encouraging because everybody, to win in this league, you need like a star and everyone is looking for the top, you know, those 10 to 12 guys who can be the best player on a championship level team. I'm not saying Jaws that right now, obviously, but he showed some flashes that he might could be that in the future. And that's a lot more than you could say for a lot of other rookies currently and in the past. I can't think of a rookie that truly showed flashes like Derek Rose did and he was the MVP of the league and led them to the playoffs and then messed up his knees. But other than that, and also they remind me of each other a ton. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's just the fact he was doing that at a rook, as a rookie, leading the offense, leading the team, and Jenkins just literally gave him the keys. We'll talk about this a little bit later. And we're just like, hey, dude, go do your thing. Like, this is, this is your game. You got the rock. Go make things happen. And Jaw did it. And it was such like a free-flowing game. It, is, it was pretty to watch. I don't know. It's super encouraging for Ja. He's going to be so good, man. He's going to be so good. So, so this is a Grizzlies podcast, so we can we can be a little uh, slanted towards our team. Another reason why it felt good is because the the players that led your team in minutes, obviously Ja, forty one minutes, Dylan thirty seven, JV thirty four, Anderson twenty seven, Tolliver twenty three, BC twenty four. <laughs> Grayson, 22, and then you had Melton and Gorgie with just right around 15. So we're competing with, a, you know, the Trailblazers, one of the hottest teams in the bubble. Um, Dame was a little banged up, but still, they were at – other than Zach Collins, they had everybody. everybody that they were planning to probably really compete with towards the end of the season. We're missing Tyus and, and JJ. Jay. And Justice. And Justice, I'm kind of omitting because I just you don't know. We gave up a lot to get him, so we were those spots, that depth that we had created with Solo and Jay. You don't know what Justice is giving you, so whatever. We at least were without Triple J and Tyus, who we knew what they would give us, and we still went toe to toe with them. And it wasn't a discussion or a topic that was really talked about by um, you know uh, Marvin Jackson, Marvin, Mark, 
Oh wait, Marvin. Oh wait, wait. no, no, wait. 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 It is Marvin, Tyler. Yeah, 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 because I'm gonna get his name wrong if he can't get (laughs) a single Grizzlies person (laughs) name right. Uh, Oh, Marv. Yeah, old Marvin. So, yeah, appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) Did not plan on doing that. So, I just uh, that to me just speaks again on Ja, and is a thing that maybe not today we'll really go deep on, but it's like if that's the case, if Ja can do that with this kind of mis fit toys around him uh we have to make sure that that's not the case moving forward again like i don't think we feel like we have a band of misfit toys we just were a little injury prone and we were playing it safe uh to what will a couple podcasts ago really wanted us to do during the bubble so that's another reason why i felt positive like if we can do this with just john and like having a couple players who don't even really fit around him perfectly then we really do have maybe the highest ceiling of any uh, potential Grizzlies roster um, that we've ever had. Yeah, totally agree. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, to our award show, which Ty has been calling now the Denny's. Uh, <laughs> that's so funny. All I'm right. not on board with this name. <laughs> Just let the record show. Until y'all come up with something better, it's that's the true. Denny's, That's It's the Denny's for right now. It's the Grizz Denny's. The placeholder. Um, all right, so y'all have your... Uh, your ballots pulled up. So we have 10 categories. We're going to go through them. Um, we tried to narrow, uh, the nominees down to just three for each category. However, uh, there are a couple in here that have more, and that includes the first one we're going to start off with. Uh, so the first award that we are going to give is the best deal of the season. And this means, uh, a draft pick, a trade or a, uh, free agent signing that the Grizzlies had um, for this season. And, um, yeah, so we're going to each name a nominee. We're just going to go in a circle. And, uh, and Ty, you want to start? Yeah, we have a lot listed here. Yeah, we do. Um, so the first one listed is the Brandon Clark draft slash trade up. Um, a couple spots to grab him. So that's that's one listed. One, one thing that I actually was looking back at um, when we were making this list do y'all know the player that we traded technically our spot to get BC? Uh, Darius Baisley. Darius right? Baisley, yeah, who's that. had kind of a great bubble um, yeah, performance, but, yeah. but not pretty near, rough overall. Not near BC. I'm just gonna read these since they're yeah. Um, so best deal of the season, like Will said. So the BC trade up to get him to so drafting him. The Winslow trade. This is best deals again. Tyus signing. Uh, the Warriors trade um, to take on Iggy and get a first-round pick. The Suns trade, which we received Melton to first and Josh Jackson. The Parsons trade, which allowed us to get Solo back and one of the Plum- Plumley guys who we let go. But we Sneaky split up best Parsons. deal. It's a pretty good deal. I mean, we lost our Lululemon sponsorship, but other than that, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, the Jonas signing, that was a big question in this offseason. Um, and then the last one is the Dylan signing. At the time, seemed like a good deal. So those are the those are the lists. Yeah, that's good. Instead of going around naming each nominee one by one, I think that's a good way to do it. Ties just each of us will take a question and name all the nominees. So yeah, we have a lot there. Um, all right. So 
And what are thoughts? What, what would you? I, I want to hear you. You will. Will gets the credit for bringing up the Parsons deal as potentially being why it well, should be considered. Okay, yeah. Can you please sell us on why the Parsons deal maybe should get? Because I think it's brilliant. Well, okay, yeah. You look back, and one of the things, uh, Chandler Parsons. I think there's an argument to be made that he um, was the worst contract in professional sports history, um, and I think that. <laughs> I think that strong take, not if inaccurate. you have a contract like that, you don't normally um, see a scenario where you can get where out you of it. can get out of it. Yeah, totally. Granted, it was expiring, which is the only reason they were able to do it because it's not like Parsons had any playing, you know, left in his knees. However, they found a team like the Hawks who had who wanted to ha- get a roster spot opened up, and they also had a very rare contract in the NBA is one that is right in the middle of a um, max or close to max deal and a minimum deal. You have a lot of guys in this league who are either getting paid 20 million or over or 3 million and under. And it's rare to have a contract that's right in the middle, like at 12 or 13. The Hawks had two. Uh, One of them was actually a serviceable player that we got back in Solomon Hill. So that, and we ended up, using that contract again later in the year in the heat trade. And then Miles Plumley was a center that we were able to evaluate. We ended up waiving him, which didn't matter. We wanted to clear a roster spot of evaluate our Evaluate is generous. You're right. It was like three <laughs> preseason games, and he played like five minutes. Um, but either way, and we got Parsons out off of our roster, yes. uh, out of our locker room. And uh, I thought that, I mean, it was one. it was a really funny deal when it happened because literally there was no, like, the money was even. Like we took back just as much money as we gave, and if anything, we had to add a player and like eat whatever money Miles Plumley had, ten million maybe. But yeah, I thought that it was just one of the it's the detailed trades. That's why we love this front office is the details matter. And Parsons was that was all about the details that trade. So I think it I think it has an argument. I don't think it was the best deal personally. Was it top three? I think it's because the goal we're going to try to narrow down the top three I know. of everything I listed, right? I would argue that that's in the top three. Hmm. I would argue that it's fourth. Okay, there it is, top five. There we go. Just it's, off the <laughs> for the record, I did Google worst contracts in sports history. There's there's some great ones on these lists. Chandler Parsons does not make it. No. Maybe we need to submit like John Wall is on here. Four years, hundred sixty nine million yeah. in twenty twenty three. Joe Kim Noah, former Grizzly. Albert yeah, Pujols, ten years, two hundred forty oh, million, one. still going on. Oh, that's so, baseball. Baseball's ridiculous. It's hard to argue with baseball. <laughs> it's not they, a baseball pod, but it's just kind of. They funny. signed ten-year deals. Like that's as far as basketball goes. I don't think you're going to have a hard time finding a worse one than than Chandler Parsons. Um, I th- I think the the Warriors um, trade is also pretty sneaky. The Suns trade um, felt like a fleecing in the middle of the season, I think we're still sort of, um, because of maybe Melton's performance in the bubble, we're kind of like, which got better though. Towards the end of the bubble, it got better. But then you also have to think about two good games out of eight. Yeah. I mean, that's tough, but we got him for nothing. So, but you also have to think about who we gave up. We gave up Javon Carter, who actually had a really good bubble. There wasn't really a lot of players on the Suns who didn't have a great bubble, but we were also missing kind of that third point guard, um, and Melton did not serve in that role, which right. we weren't necessarily asking him to the whole season. But we were missing it because of injury, not because of we didn't have it. That's true. That's a good point. So. Um, 
But at the same time, I would think that we would all agree that like getting draft compensation and Josh Jackson and Anthony Melton. Our is pick worth this year is from that trade. Our second round pick this year is from that trade. Yeah. So I would have that ranked um, third. I think the Suns deal. The Suns deal. Yeah. I think we're all sort of bearing the lead on BC being yep. the best one. So let's just play a totally. quick game real quick. Would you take Brandon Clark over these players, the, the ones that were drafted before him? Brandon Clark was drafted 21st uh, by the Thunder, of which we then traded um, and got him. So, right. Uh, right. My yep. details are accurate. That's right. Okay, thanks. So uh, before him uh, was Matisse Thibel. Would you take Clark or Thibel? This is a tough one. This I is personally one. would. I would too. Because of the offensive production, I think he's not near Tybal on defense, but he is he's gonna he's gonna work his butt off on both ends of the floor. And I think I don't think Tybal can score That's a the good player. They're, those two are like very valuable players for their individual teams. But I would, for our team individually, I'd rather have BC. That's the that's the kicker say that. for me. Is to me Brandon Clark because him a player. and Jaron down the road pair so well, and Ja. Yeah. Those three pair really well together. I think Tybal you. There's a lot of dependencies with him. Yeah. Uh, with Brandon Clark, I think you could player. plug him in any system, any team, and he would be awesome. Yep. Um, okay, the Spurs at 19 took, I'm going to say this wrong, Samanich. Yeah, definitely uh, BC yeah. over okay, there. Okay, cool. Indiana took Badats. Yeah, totally BC. <laughs> you know how to say, how, do you, how would you say <laughs> that? Batatsi, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brooklyn took Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I would 17, still take BC. Who went to New Orleans. Yeah. And I would probably rather have BC. 16th, Orlando Okiki. He hasn't yeah. played yet. Definitely TBD on that, but Brittany, though, yeah. yeah. Detroit took Demboya. Man, this is terrible. Oh, he is horrible. Yeah, like, that was tough. 14, Boston took Romeo Langford. Oh, I'd rather have yeah. BC. Miami at 13 took Tyler Harrow. This is the one. Will uh, Walker lookalike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather uh, have Hero, I think. I shoot like him, too, by the way. Um, Not true. Why are you doing a <laughs> podcast on Sunday afternoon? 5'8 um, versus 6'4, man. I think that I would still take BC. I would take Tyler Hero. I would, too. I have I have a man crush on That Tyler dude Hero. can shoot. He's a ball. He's, I like him a lot. Who would you rather have, Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson? Probably Tyler Hero. Really? He's like four years younger. Uh, yeah, I think it depends on your roster. If the, for the Grizzlies, I'd rather have Harrow. For like, I love Duncan Robinson too. Either way, I, I think I would still take BC by a nose. Okay. Uh, Charlotte took PJ Washington. Great player. PJ is super good. Yeah, really good. Rather have BC because he's my guy. But not Harrow. Not nah, Harrow is awesome. <laughs> I we think we could just have a guy on the perimeter that just could just. I think Washington could end up being like he's solid, a really good starter. And BC, I I think, is perfect in his role right now. Um, He just came in just so polished. So that one's hard for me. I'm neutral on that one. Okay, so that's really kind of Harrow and PJ at 13 and 12 are really like the first ones they're challenging us. Okay, we're almost we're we're not going to do this so much longer. Okay, Minnesota, Cameron Johnson. That went to Phoenix. Phoenix, but I would still I'd take have BC. BC. Yeah. Atlanta took Cam Reddish. Definitely BC for sure. BC. Washington took Rui Hachimura. That one's tough too. Also, that could be a pretty good player. Yeah, uh, they're both. They're very similar. I think. Like I think they're both destined to be elite role players. So yeah, I, yeah, it's a tough one. 
You get to say who you want. Brandon, because he's already on our team. No, 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 no. This is more of an objective measurement of what you know. Objectively, uh, probably Rui. I think he has way more upside offensively and can get his own shot um, and stuff like that versus BC. That's my... I would have to look up how old he is because that, to me, is the only thing that would... They're the same level to me. I thought uh, I was gonna be able to pull it up fast, but I didn't. Me too. I'm like he's 22, so they're both about the same age. All right, then BC. Jackson Hayes at eighth, definitely, definitely BC. BC, not even close. Seventh, Kobe White, definitely BC. Uh yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, six, Jarrett Culver, definitely BC, easily. Five, Darius Garland. Oh, it's not BC. even remotely close. Four, DeAndre Hunter, definitely probably BC. BC. Yeah. Three, R.J. Barrett. I'd rather have R.J. Barrett. Probably R.J. Okay. So then we obviously know John. So there are f- which roughly four guys that we would rather have, and we picked B.C. I guess we had the 23rd pick. Technically picked him 21st He should have been overall. number two in Rookie of the Year, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. Like, and that should show you what you need to know. I mean, there's there's other guys that are, like, either on really good teams and they got – they're just, you know, not going to necessarily get all the opportunities that – the younger guys on bad teams are, or they're on terrible teams and they're being, um, I don't know, their habits are terrible already. Um, I see like that with the Hawks guys, like Reddish and, and Hunter are like the worst when it comes to efficiency. Rookies um, from that class just aren't, I don't know, they're at the bottom. And there's, I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to do this topic first, I think, was just because it it's appropriate to take a step back and just really be thankful for what the front office has done how they hit on both picks obviously in john bc and like this draft is a good draft like we just read through a lot of good basketball players and there's some after brandon that are still really good and there's very few that right now for our team and objectively even we would say we would rather have him over so bc number one can i give you my rankings let's do it uh, from this list Number one, BC. We're all in agreement there. Number two, I would say the Warriors trade. Not only did we get a potential first-round pick in 2024, but Iggy was the main reason, I think, that we were able to make that Heat deal happen. Oh, absolutely. Um, Number three is the Suns trade um, for the reasons we've already mentioned. Number four is Parsons. Uh, Number five, we we mentioned this in passing, but the Tyus signing. I think that was super important. We got him at a great deal, and we it definitely showed in the bubble. And the way we How went valuable. about that, we had Delon Wright, and we had he was a restricted free agent, so we had his rights. We could have easily signed him. Instead, we traded him to Dallas for second round picks, and basically got the equivalent in Tyus and free. Like like we talked about the details, like little stuff like that, little deals. Yeah, are very apparent with this front office. So basically, this whole little segment is just giving props to the front office for sure. And then to round it out at the end, I have the Winslow trade because. I, I mean, even though we did not see any of the fruit of that trade, I still think on that day, I I will not rem- like forget how excited didn't I sleep was. that night. Yeah, Just so excited. Couldn't yeah, and he, couldn't yes, stop smiling. There's there's some conversation in this next category to be had over that trade, which we will have in a second. And then to round it out, I have the Jonas signing, and then lastly, I have the Dylan. Just from what we have. Yeah, Lots of really good things. I'm going to do my top three real quick. I'm going to do BC Parsons because you have no idea. What the locker room could have been like if Parsons was still there. It could have been terrible. And I'm just going to do third with Tyus. I think we cool. got a long-term true backup point guard. And as a Grizzlies fan, I'm so happy about that. Yeah, I, I like this. 
Do you have a top three tie? Just to round it out. Uh, I mean, the BC one is. I've, yeah, the tie signing is in my top three for sure. Um, and then I really love the Warriors trade because we just plucked a first round pick that could be potentially a decent pick in twenty twenty four. Who knows what the. I mean, Golden State, well, well, I'm sure they'll be good, but that's still pretty cool that we got a first-round pick. All right. Using space. You have one more thing? No. Okay, cool. Uh, Second category, and these will probably, all of the rest of these will probably be a lot shorter than that last one, but that one was fun. Uh, Worst deal of the season. You want me to go? Yeah, you go ahead. So we've got three we're really talking through. Um, First... Um, Will's boy Marco Guterich. <laughs> I had to throw that on there. I love him, but also <laughs> you can't deny. I mean, you know, we we did open up, you know, the the bank truck for him and just dump money <laughs> on him. Uh, he's on the books for one more year at two point seven million. But that's if anything, that should show you how many. Uh, if that's on the worst deal list, we're doing okay. Uh huh. Um, Dylan signing. So middle of the year. Um, we give him a $35 million extension. So he's on the books next year for 11-3, then 12-4, then 11-3 again. Um, after that, um, uh, we could get really heated if we had just watched um, Dylan play against, I don't know, any team in the bubble potentially. Uh, and then the Heat deal, um, my favorite um, to potentially discuss as a quote-unquote worst deal only because we did have to give up two vets on our team who um, I think we're having a, a, a true leadership presence that um, you're hearing a lot of national podcast pundits talk about as being an important for young teams moving forward, like the Atlanta Hawks, for instance, and how they need to make that a priority and go get those vets. Um, we had that this past year, and you can't measure that in advanced analytics, but I think that it did have um, a potential impact to our team being successful and last year we had some bets on our team for a while, right? I mean, you still had Conley there. Um, you uh, had JV coming in who had a vet presence, and JV still has one too. Kyle Anderson kind of has that as well. But I think that you can just see even the way that Jay and Solo, uh, you know, were coming to watch our team, like the kind of buy-in that it had with um, those players that it had a big impact. On top of the Heat deal, um, we uh, – in that trade – James Johnson was a part of that, but then we immediately flipped him to Minnesota, um, took back Gorgie Jang, um, who's on the books as an expiring, which I don't really think that's negative because he uh, could potentially be flipped this year if we wanted to get active. But then we also took back Deion Waiter's contract from Miami, um, and he is on the books um, next year for $12.6 million. Um, so a pretty big cap hit that we've you know cut him and we're just going to eat that salary. So and the reason why for this season we could say that it could be a worse deal is that we haven't seen anything from Justice. Um, Justice isn't a huge salary commitment. He seems to really fit with this team. I know that in 2K he adds a lot of value um, to the starting <laughs> five um, on my 2K team where somehow uh, the Bucks traded uh, me Chris Middleton. Um, so if you want to talk about that later, trust me, my starting five with Ja, JJJ, BC, Chris Middleton, and Justice is pretty dank. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's kind of my argument for Miami. If you can't tell um, it for this season is the worst deal we did, which for long term, maybe not. But I do think for if we're looking with no peripheral vision, 
I in think, my opinion. I think there's an argument there for sure. Um, I I also think that to me the Dylan signing might be number one. Um, I think that the downside of the Heat trade that was next season was this se- coming season, and I think the um, that is a deal that I feel as though we could quickly it's it's the one that um will absolutely um depend on Winslow's performance and the amount of games that he he plays and at what level and i think that could look like a great deal one day it could look like a terrible deal the next i think you could make that same argument for Dylan Brooks the difference is Dylan and and Winslow are both on the books for very similar amounts however Dylan's deal is going to be one year longer because his is going to kick in this this coming year, so that to me is like the one area to where uh, I also think Winslow is a superior player to Dylan Brooks. I think so. He's a superior player, and he's on the books for only two more years, whereas Dylan is on the books for three more. And you could we could we just spent a whole podcast about how awful he played, and so I think there's I think at the time. We had it on our best trades nominee because or best transaction the heat because transaction that is. Yeah, well no, yeah, yeah. we had the Dylan too at the very bottom of the that's list. That's true. We did. But and that's because at the time we were scared of how well he was playing and how much money he was potentially gonna make. And then we were relieved when it was something reasonable. And I think you could argue that it is still reasonable, judging by the lack of wings in this league that are at a certain quality. Um but it's just hard. I mean those two are neck and neck for me. I think yeah, I'd give too. it to Dylan though. I th- I think both will have will have to like wait and see on yeah. both of those to be honest. Because uh, Justice, like we've talked about, best case scenario could turn into like a starting small forward for years to come on our team, especially if we get like another scoring two guard to go next to that start. Like if we have a Jaw, Jaron, Brandon, Justice, implement another guard that can score that lineup is going to be pretty good. Um, I think so. I think justice, we got to wait and see. And I think it was worth the risk. So for that to be our worst deal that you, like you said, will that just shows signs that this, uh, front office did some good stuff. Another point I want to make on the Dylan, uh, signing is one guy I compare him to, or kind of when we were talking about Dylan and the signing and the extension and all that kind of stuff, uh, Michael Beasley. Wait, what was his first name? Not Michael Beasley. Malik uh, Beasley. Malik Beasley. Sorry. Um, he so could Malik, be Michael Beasley. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you may have just fell into a That's really right. weird comp. <laughs> yeah. So Malik Beasley is a guy who was kind of that two guard who was still on that kind of early contract. Um, didn't get the extension yet, and he was playing for Denver. Wasn't getting a ton of time, but had shown flashes of being a really good kind of role player, potentially turn into a starter, potentially kind of play. Very similar to Dylan's role moving forward is how we see it, how we project it. So Beasley uh, got traded to Minnesota this season. I'm very curious to see what a guy like he gets this offseason in free agency. If he gets like a four-year, $80 million contract, then I'm going to look at the Dylan contract and be like, we, we, that's a good deal. 
Dylan can be extremely frustrating. But for the value, that's not a terrible thing. That being said, if Beasley gets a deal similar to Dylan, then I'm going to say that's not as good of a deal because I think Beasley is better than Dylan at what they both do best, which is kind of players off the ball to score and shoot well. I think Beasley is really good at scoring kind of off the ball. Um, and that's you would argue, I guess, that's Dylan's best attribute too. So if Beasley gets even a like a cheaper contract than Dylan, then I think that turns into maybe our worst our worst deal that we did. But looking forward, you also mentioned that some of these 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 million dollar contracts are hard to find in the NBA. Um, and we have that moving forward with Dylan, which could be I mean, we've thrown his name in like trade scenarios so many times and we're gonna continue to do so because that's kind of what we hope happens here. Um, so Official that, stance of the Grisden pod is yeah. that Dylan Brooks. So that moving trade. forward is, is a to me, also a good deal because there's flexibility involved. And if a team does trade for Dylan, they also view it as we view justice, right? They're not getting some whopping 18, 19, $20 million contract for four more years. Look at Sacramento and Buddy Heald. That's one reason they're looking to move him potentially is because he's a lot of money for several years. Dylan is eleven, twelve million dollars for three years, and that's it. Like th- I think that's an easy, tradable contract moving forward too. And people can probably find value in Dylan's game, right? Like off the bench, we've even mentioned it. If he's like a heater coming off the bench for fifteen minutes a game, that's great. Yeah, he's just not a thirty-five minute a game leading your team in shot attempts kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, all right. So. This is where the rubber meets the road. What are y'all? What, what deal are y'all taking as the worst deal of this season? If you had to choose one for this season, I'm going with Miami just because, from a personal perspective, I just uh, I don't know if it would have helped us win. I think that Jay and Solo could have helped you win one more game in the bubble for this season. So this is a this season question, which is why I'm saying that. I'm going Dylan because I think we can find his value elsewhere at a similar contract with a player that better suits our team. Um, I know we've thrown this name. I think like Pat Connaughton could come in and start at the two and do just as good of a job as what Dylan does and maybe take less away from John Jaron moving forward. Um, and I think the upside of justice is huge. Yeah, like Brantley said, this season he didn't help us, but the trade technically wasn't for this season. Um, and our leadership is even though we're young guys like Jaws different in that way like he's not a guy who's like a head case and he truly wants to win as y'all could see and Jaron's similar Tyus is young but he's similar Um, we have guys on our roster that aren't like a lot of young players Um, and that could be due to Jay and Solo like immediately jumping in at the beginning of the season and being those vets right out of the gate um but I would probably say Dylan because I just really think we could find his production elsewhere. Yeah, I'll probably break the tie and say Dylan as well for that one. Okay, um, let's move on. Best coaching decision is the next category. Uh, and here are our nominees. Uh, number one is giving the keys to Ja um, from the start of the season. Number two is um, is encouraging Jaron to uh, extend his range at a clip that is he's one of the leading uh, three-point 
attempts on our game. In, excuse me, on our he team. He leads our team in attempts from threes. For he the leads season. our team. He's there like you top go. 25 in attempts and percentage in the NBA as a 20-year-old 6'10 power forward. Yeah, so, so that to me is... <laughs> Y'all just need to think about that for a minute. Right. And find me another guy that can do that at 20 years old. So that's a function he definitely of coaching and the encouragement that he has and the support he has from that coaching staff to do so. Um, and then a couple more, we had a... Well, actually, we... These nominees, I had I had JV, um, how we've, I mean, there's not a lot of starting centers in the league that um, would be okay with sitting pr- like more than half of our games in the final few minutes. And I think that the way they managed that with JV has been really, um, really impressive. And then finally had Josh Jackson down as just um, the way that they um, went to him uh, this is another we have worse coaching decisions in our next category and so Josh Jackson you could argue can be in both these buckets but for those top three giving the keys to Ja Darren's three point um, encouragement and then JV uh, which which of those nominees would you guys pick for uh, this award and maybe one clarification just Jaron leads our team in threes per game so oh not so not necessarily total but threes per game total it's Dylan surprise because Jaron set out that's more true. games okay. and um Dylan played around like 600 more minutes than Jaron did this year 500 more minutes so yep. just wanted to state that cool Will what do you think I Lead think us off. I mean it's got to be it's got to be giving the keys to Jaw I think um there not that it was des- necessarily the hardest decision to make um, mm. because what was the alternative? I mean, you had Tyus Jones. I think I would um, compare it sort of to the NFL in this way. A lot of times you see these first-round uh, quarterbacks that get, get drafted and then they play a veteran to start the season and then like it happens every year to somebody. Like, I don't know if y'all watch Hard Knocks ever, but they have, like... Um, oh, uh, avid Hard Knocks watcher. There you go. They have Tyrod Taylor uh, with the Chargers, who they've already named as their, like, week one starter, and you know that they're going to go They did that Herbert. with Cleveland, too. Yes. Tyrod Taylor was the Cleveland Literally. starter, and then Baker Mayfield On like, Hard Knocks, like, two years week ago, Week seven, too. yeah, same. So and there is Tyrod. something about, like, point guards not being able to be good rookie point guards either. Exactly. Yeah. And so you see it... I don't think you see it as much in the NBA as you do the NFL, especially on a team like the Grizzlies, who... I mean, Ja, just if he was at at a minimum level, like could give you um, just even if he wasn't at the level that he was that he is now, but had a ceiling like I still think they would have thrown him in there as a starter. But just to completely um, empower Ja in the way that he's been empowered by this coaching staff, I think is um, kudos like that's it's hard to to necessarily do and um especially as a first year head coach uh first year head coach first year nba uh player who's going to be leading your team but just to completely like um build the system around him uh before he even played a game i think was really impressive and uh, the other two nominees to me are more so like those are really good um adjustments on the margins but jaw like that's your core that's the core of your team I think you could argue that empowerment is the most important word in this phrase as far as coaching decisions because Ja, he empowered, but he also empowered Jaron to basically play what he's best at. Like you hear 
one thing I think is interesting is you hear like a lot of the TNT guys, especially Shaq and Barkley, like when they talk about Porzingis, they tell Porzingis to go sit on the block, sit in the paint, be a big guy, demand the ball. And Rick Carlisle is like, yeah, that's dumb because that's not even close to what he's best at. Like he's literally our best three-point shooter we have. Why would I not play him on the perimeter? And Jaron is definitely our best three-point shooter like we've talked about. He's like top 25 in the league in three-point percentage. That's his best asset you would argue, is three-point shot, which is insane. Like, that's just nuts to me that that's potentially his best thing that he does. And Jenkins empowered that and told him, like, if y'all remember in preseason, one of Jenkins' phrases, let the mother effer fly. Like, that's what he kept yelling out and saying all the time. And Jaron was like, you got it. Um, I just think the fact that he empowered both of those guys to play their games and to do what they're best at and give them freedom is a hard coaching decision. You see a lot of like really good coaches struggle with that. And Jenkins immediately came in and immediately was like, yep, I'm a first year coach, which is tough because he would probably want to be like, I want things to be done this way, this way, this way. But instead he was like, Hey, what are my guys best at? That's what I'm going to do. Let's just play. Let's just go play. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, with that point on Jaron, Ty is that, Within that year-to-year jump, he basically plays close to the same in minutes per game. So in his rookie season, he averaged 26. This year, he averaged 28. He increased his attempts to three more attempts per game. That's a bunch. Wow. Okay, so he went from 10 his rookie season to 13 this season. And his percentage, his overall percentage went down. He went down from – 50% 50% to 47%. I think that's a lot. If you watched his rookie season versus this season, he was – I mean, we had Conley for a while. You know what I mean? I mean, Jaron was kind of treated like in a BC type, above-the-rim type player role, which is not really his game. He I also mean, was fouling a, and he a fouled bit more a ton. too, so he didn't have as many opportunities right. to shoot. Um, he went – how many – this is fun. Will, how many three-point attempts do you think Jaron averaged in his rookie season per game? Two and a half. That's really good. It was 2.4. And how many do you think he averaged this season? Right at four. Six and a half. Whoo! So, the point is is that and, – and, and his percentage, by the way, in his rookie season he averaged 36% from three his, his first season. This year, he averaged close to 40, 39.4% from three. Okay, so he increased his attempts by three, uh, but a lot of that was coming from three-point attempt, and he he went to basically having four more points per game uh, in a year-to-year jump. That's a pretty big difference, and I think without going into specifics and really getting super dorky, I think one of the things that we loved were like even like out of timeouts, you'd see like threes drawn up for Jaron, like – really good inbound plays where it was get Jaron the ball, get him a three. It was a conscious, like strategic decision by the coaching staff to get him those looks and he paid off on them. Um, and I also think that a lot of like the transition three buckets were things that were like stuff that they were automatic. On. I mean, every I mean, time he was trailing a fast players break, were always automatic. looking for him. And so, I mean, that's, I'm assuming that they're practicing that I'm not there. Um, so, that's I I um, love the jump that Jaron made, and and I do want to attribute that a lot to this coaching staff. 
So, um, like a lot of bo- love for both of those, um, quote unquote, coaching decisions. Which one would you um, vote on for this award? Which one would you say was the best, given the keys to Ja or the empowerment of Jaron? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, the thing I would probably almost say Jaron, because like you said, with Ja, like what other decision was there? Like that's all we had. We drafted him. Like the front office almost ma- almost made that decision. Be like, yeah, we drafted number two overall. This is our point guard for the next decade. So hopefully he works out because this is him. I think the way that almost they played together at the start of the season was a little bit of a struggle because Jaron really didn't know what he was doing with this role that he had. So I would probably say Jaron. I think I'm going to go with Jaron too, mainly just because Ja came in as so good that like the development that Jaron had is as is maybe more important now to the future of the franchise because of how good Ja is. That's a weird argument. But you know what I mean? Like we need Jaron to be a true two uh, or true three, like can be a number two on a like, um, you know, playoff contending team. Cause I think Ja can be your one potentially. Yeah. I I think you guys have, I I was initially saying Ja, I think you've swayed me because I mean, Ja is just, I mean, he probably, the coaching does not matter as much with Ja as probably it does with Jaron. So, uh, all right, so worst coaching decision. We got to start rolling through these a little faster. Um, Ty, you want to take us through uh, these? Yeah, uh, number one by far, I think it's not even close. Is the lack of challenging Dylan or not having a leash on Dylan's, um, basically offense and defense, I guess, but main so just letting him shoot whatever he wants whenever he wants. We also had this uh, kind of premature Milwaukee Bucks defensive philosophy. So Jenkins obviously has been with Budenholzer for a while, came with him from Milwaukee. And Milwaukee has this defense where they basically allow threes, but they just allow nothing at the rim ever. Um, And we mentioned this because we technically don't, maybe not have the personnel to make this work at its best right now. Um, but Particularly that's, at the like center positions, right? Correct. Just because JV is not a great rim protector. He's big. Um, Jaron is probably a better rim. But you don't have Giannis and Brooke protector. Lopez is the point. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't you don't have seven footers down there that uh, that also have hops. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that would but Lopez doesn't really have hops. Yeah. But and we didn't have the fundamentally offense sound. to match too. Like <laughs> he's got when a great teams motor. were making threes, we didn't have the offense to kind of keep up with them. And then uh the other one is kept Josh in the G League for too long. Um or at all, someone may argue. Uh, so I think those three, of those three, um, I think the worst decision is clearly Dylan. I don't think the other two even come close because I think one is a personnel issue, but you also have to implement your system and build towards that. So I think the the defensive, um, how you go about your defense, I think is fine, honestly. It, it works out for several teams. Uh, Toronto also allows, I think, more threes than most other teams in the league, and they have like a top three defense the last two seasons. Um, they just allow nothing at the rim, nothing easy. Um, and then the Josh Jackson thing, I think the front office, I really feel like they knew ahead of, ahead of time that we weren't, he's not going to be a long-term part of our team. And they were potentially going to be like, oh, let's just see what we got. But yeah, I just never really thought that was a serious thing moving forward. I think Dylan's, the reason I say that is because I, 
I hope and I hope that doesn't hurt us long term. Um, that Dylan has this mindset of this is who he is moving forward, and he can never not be this guy. So when we need him to take a step back in the next year, maybe two years, maybe three years, who knows, that he's not going to be willing to do it, and his his game is never going to change. Um, I think we know he's not going to be willing to do it. Maybe so. Yeah, I'd be surprised. I mean, maybe coaching can get him there. I just don't think that that's who he is. And so um, I, I feel like Dylan is the, is the obvious answer. I also feel like that that was the answer two years ago because he was – because of injuries and circumstance was given that leash. And it kind of – Verno makes this point all the time, which I believe on this one in this case, that it, he just was given a long leash then. He averaged these, you know, kind of he had this production. That's just what he's used to. And he was never kind of like coached into the role that he really needs to be. Um, now, you did start sort of towards the end of the bubble because he was sucking so bad. He was sort of starting to play within himself a little bit. And so the question will be, can they then coach him into a scenario that's like, see how well we as a team were playing when you were playing like this? Um so I'm gonna I'm gonna say Dylan and then shut up. But I do just want to say on the Josh Jackson thing that I do just wonder if we just didn't maximize that asset well enough. Sure, he's not our long term thing, but if we had brought him in a little sooner, we had injuries early. Could he have played? Could he have? Could you have thrown him in instead of a Jay Crowder yeah, into a Heat deal? Exactly, and and then flipped him to a team that needed a young asset or something, and we could have gotten something else for him. Now we're just going to kind of let him walk. And that's fine. I mean, we've maximized a lot of assets this year. Right. So that's my only counter to that. Yeah, and we're in a consensus on Dylan. I mean, the worst thing I think that ever happened to Dylan was scoring 19 points on his first ever game. I mean, we were so excited about him, and yet we did not know what that was going to turn into. And so I think that we we went off on this last pod, so we won't won't dive too deep into this. All right, um, we're gonna we're gonna skip the next one, um, but we're gonna bring it to the bottom of our list because um, that's sort of like um, we'll get there. Let's skip to most improved. Brantley, you want to take this one? Um, yeah, the options are these are some great options. Jaron, the front office, or Grayson. So we've sort of talked about Jaron in the front office thus far. So I'll talk a little bit about Grayson, um, and this is sort of connected a little bit, I think, to one of the things that we one of the topics on like best coaching decisions was actually to not even play Josh Jackson at all in the bubble, which allowed Grayson to come in and shine. I don't think that up until, up until the bubble, we would have never even had Grayson remotely in consideration for this discussion. But I do think that in the bubble, we did see what his potential could be as a, um, a trusted defensive player uh, who's going to you know, make the right decisions for the most part and can come in and be pretty consistent from behind the arc but also get hot. And um, I think – I'm not saying that Grayson specifically is the guy that we want long-term. He's on a cheap deal for a while. So, I mean, whether he's needed in a, in a trade or not, whatever. But I just think that that type of bench role is super necessary for – like the core that we have and you could see it in flashes in the bubble. And so he did improve a lot and I just feel like it's worth acknowledging it and just really, um, I mean, I mean, he sort of ended last year really well too. So it's kind of interesting that he 
hadn't put a full season together. So let's see what it looks like. Um, we've already went through Jaron's um, improvement, but the front office we've we we've talked like night and day fifteen yeah. deals about how awesome they are, and for this franchise and for a fan podcast to not be hating on our general manager right now is just amazing. If you want to get like super technical, you could say like how this front office is their first year, so next year you can kind of see what their improvement is but at the end of the day like it's the same organization it doesn't matter who's in the seats it's still you're looking at last year versus this year and i think that is the obvious front office for sure answer and one example just like so we have the 40th pick in this year's draft and i've like we're going to talk about maybe this later but i already feel confident that we're going to potentially pull like a long-term rotational player with the 40th pick in a draft that's apparently not that great like i have confidence that we're going to find somebody that can like play a really important role for us moving forward or leverage what we have to move up for somebody totally. we want and so, don't know yeah. who they're targeting yet. Right. So, well, cool. Uh, that I, I think we're all in agreement there. All right. Next one shout out to the front office. Shout out. Next one I had was defensive player of the year, which this one is kind of funny. Uh, the nominees here are Kyle Anderson, <laughs> DeAnthony Melton. And I had Jaron down, even though his defensive season wasn't necessarily what a lot of people thought he could be. Um, but I mean, if you want to look at the advanced analytics, I think it's probably Kyle. Uh, if you, I, I did kind of do a quick deep dive into this, and he had the top rated, he had the top defensive rating, technically on our team. Uh, I'm guessing we don't have much else to add here. No, that's great, Will. Thanks for doing a <laughs> yeah. deep dive on our team's <laughs> yeah. defensive prowess. Let's just say we didn't. That was another area that we hoped that maybe Dylan Brooks would be a nominee for, and yeah, I don't think we would have him. We on just our didn't play good team defense post the Miami trade. That's period. a good point. That's a very good point. All right, we have um, four more that we got to rip through here. Um, so we're gonna go. We're gonna move to uh, most disappointing. Ty, you want to run through our nominees here? Dylan, Justice, and Kyle. Y'all's is probably gonna be Dylan. Uh, mine's Winslow Justice, just because I really had such Winslow, high hopes, and still, yeah, and still do. And I think he's, I think he could potentially be good. But I was really excited about watching him play. And when that trade went through, I was just super excited to watch him with our team. And I never got to see it, so I'm just really disappointed in that. You were right. Mine's definitely Dylan. Of course, of course, Kyle. As just kind of a shoe in nominee, just I think he's just a carryover from the Chris Wallace administration. Uh, not his fault. Dylan, definitely his fault. Uh, I just think that he, um, as we've said multiple times, is just in the wrong role in this team. And the bubble highlighted that um, to an even larger extent because of how shorthanded we were. Winslow, it's one of those things where I'm disappointed, but it's not like if he comes into – the season next year and is averaging like five points a game, two rebounds a game, and isn't playing well on defense. Chandler I'm, Parson numbers? I'm going to be so sad, and that'll be disappointing. Dylan is just kind of like, I don't know. The fact that we need him to be good in order to win. Need that sucks. position. Yes, we need that position to be good. Um, Ty, so. you know if Justice like averages those numbers that Will's quoting, you're never allowed to like a player again <laughs> off of a si- off of a sign and trade. 
Ty's previous favorite trade that the Grizzlies have done was for aforementioned Chandler Parsons. The favorite Chandler signing. Chandler trade. That was a signing. Thank and you. Sorry. I did have very high hopes. I we all this did. Is the, where, how the Grizz Den Slack channel started is basically me throwing out, I think Chandler's going to average 13, 6, and 6 this year. And that was two years ago. And the fact that that was Definitely aspirational just close. shows you again how terrible I that know. deal was. <laughs> yeah, I remember so when we went to that first game. I think we sat in the nosebleeds and watched Chandler against Portland. And CJ had a classic like Grizz Killer game. And Chandler like played four minutes. <laughs> and was, like over. He had that shot where he had, goes like, up an and then goes halfway down and then releases it. It's just <laughs> it's so, so sad. Terrible. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Now to our finales, we got uh, our next two categories, and then we have a bonus, is best game slash moment, and then most valuable. Um, let's let's go with best game slash moment next. Uh, let's just all do our individual favorite one. That's a great idea. Go, Will. My favorite moment, and this is in the Lost, this is a throwback to the Lost episode that we had. Uh, it's the lottery, I think, is the most franchise changing moment in the Grizzlies history. Um, this, the fact that we were going in hoping to convey, um, like I tweeted that out actually after the Portland game, just like, I cannot believe that our highest hope of the off season last year, just one year ago was we hope that we can convey a draft pick. <laughs> and then after that, we were like throwing our hands up in the air. It's like whatever news happens. now. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. And so I think the fact that we got the number two pick in that particular draft uh, with the those particular players, um, that was the best moment. And you could argue that was before this season technically started. Uh, as in, like, you could count that as a last season thing, but I count it as a this season thing. Uh, lottery is my favorite. Yeah, and piggybacking off of that, um, Ja just calling out the Houston team in particular, my favorite player in the NBA, James Harden. <laughs> um, that's a joke. Uh, and all the gifs, all of the socials, all of the sort of um, rambunctious and spontaneous um, emergency pod that Will and I did just like being just fanboys of the whole situation. Um, because how, it just the Grizzlies have never really had a player that has been had that type of moxie, had that type of stardom, and I think we've had players that we hope could be that way. Maybe like I, I, I don't, I wasn't here for all the Pal years, but I just through friends have heard how lame duck he was at times, and you just never really felt like he could just take over. Zebo was the closest we've got. Zebo was the closest. Yeah, Z- but Z- even then, it was point. he was not like this. That did not go viral when he would like that's have fair. some Memphis, you know, against Blake Griffin or something like that was fun for Memphis fans. But like Ja, that was a viral sensation. It was that a night. viral sensation, and like seeing that come for the city of Memphis is just like the next level. So it's fair that it's like, yeah, I need to give credit to to the G and G on and Zebo in particular with that statement. Talk me back a little bit uh, instead of being hyperbolic. So. What about you, Ty? Yeah, it's it's the lottery. It's getting jaw. It's changed the franchise forever. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah, and for the record, we had the Brooklyn game, Jaw's third game, block on Kyrie, the Jay Crowder buzzer beater, was just like his first win of the season. 
Uh, it was a huge win just for the morale of everybody. And then just to see Jobby so mature, that was incredible. And then we had the Lakers game coming off a losing streak, coming off a back-to-back, and just taking the Lakers to school <laughs> was mm. so fun to watch um, our guys do. So, yeah, the lottery, I think that There's one. like five more. I mean, I mean there's like, a million we And they're rub. all jaw-based. Like, even the third like the, quarter of this Portland bubble game that yeah. we had, the very first game of the bubble, was The just Rising Stars game. Yes, yeah. You know, like all of these things, like you just, it just, the ones that just pop and yep. come to mind are jaw. For sure. Uh, and with that, we have our final category, which is most valuable. Um, I mean, is this even a question? No. We have jaw, front office, and Brandon. Uh, yeah, it's jaw, not even close. I guess you could potentially throw in Jaron in there, too. And maybe the hiring of Jenkins, I guess that threat falls into the front office. Um, but, yeah, it's Ja, hands down. Some stats would say that Dylan, because whenever he scores over 20 <laughs> points, the Grizzlies are. Jeez. No, it's definitely Ja. <laughs> I think the front office, you can make a case. However, the most important um, of all of these picks slash moves is drafting Ja, and that was something that just took a stroke of luck um, to do. And we've given – front office a lot of props on this pod however we'd really have jaws Zion, john ja morant baby i don't even think Zion's it's that fat. close to be honest I like i really either. watching jaw do what he did in that play-in game against portland i'm gonna throw all the shade at zion all the time like He's a it's a nice kid but it's just as fun it's just to me it's it's may not even be a conversation in like five years yeah. i think jaws i really think he is gonna be just an absolute if he stays healthy. Health, yeah. health aside for both of them. Yes. Yes. But Absolutely. one is already healthy and one is already not. So you this could argue that one's starting. I don't know. I kind of want that to be a rivalry. Apparently they're like buds and stuff, which is a bummer. But it'd be cool if they like bummer really disliked buds. each other. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Consensus jaw most valuable for sure. Uh, all right. So then bonus category and uh, we'll be out after this one. Uh, favorite moment of the Grizz Den pod um, season. We we had the pleasure of starting this podcast and just, just an unbelievable year for the Memphis Grizzlies organization. Um, and it was just, I mean, we had a lot of moments, uh, both on the podcast that you have heard, but also um, behind the scenes and in other areas that just were a lot of fun. So, uh, we'll end it here. What was y'all's favorite moment so far on the GDP? Uh, if we ever release the sneaky episode of us at the beginning of the pandemic, I think I just talked about the joggles night and how fun that was for us uh, to be able to create that shirt and um, have a bunch of people rally behind it uh, with with partners across the board with um, – everywhere so that just was super fun and something i'll never forget um yeah yeah and if you're a new listener essentially we started making t-shirts uh earlier in 2020 and uh we made one that you should go buy at grizzden.com uh it's jaw doing his patented joggles move and it has joggles on the shirt it's an amazing shirt shout out banks shepherd who designed it for us but um the morant family um saw the shirt and basically wanted like 20 of them for their family. And we got to hand deliver uh, the shirts to um, John Morant's uh, 
girlfriend and his family and and have if you look on uh at kk dixon on instagram you'll see josh young young daughter uh rocking the joggles shirt uh joggles onesie excuse me so that was an amazing night yeah that's mine too the joggles tee was just so cool we had a lot of people like contacting us and wanting all the like we got super duper dreads brandon on the podcast all because of the joggles tee um yeah, it was just really cool. It kind of opened some doors for us. Uh, it was just really fun. It was awesome. Yeah, and we had, you know, a couple things early on, like getting to interview Peter Edmiston super early in our podcast life, which was a, a blast. Yeah, getting to fun. Brantley and I having to just scramble to get our gear into our office uh, to try to interview him on his lunch break was just hysterical. Oh, and then having David Cobb, the Grizzlies beat writer, in the episode right after. And then obviously having, y'all heard Super Duper Dreads a, a few weeks ago and just how awesome of an interview that was. So just, we're feeling very uh, fortunate to be in the position we are and having as much fun, with, fun as we are with this team. What's next, Will? What are we doing? What are we doing until free agency? Apparently, that's an awesome question. And we'll, we'll get out of here on this. Uh, we have some fun content planned uh, for you this offseason, which, uh, as we mentioned at the top, uh, we don't know how long this offseason is going to be yet. So uh, what we're going to do, though, is we're, gonna, we're going to take a deep dive and do a quote-unquote exit interview for every player uh, on the Grizzlies roster, maybe not uh, the bottom few, because Ty doesn't want to talk about John Conchar for an talk hour. About Guterich, I want to talk about I want an episode just me uh, in a room by myself talking about Guterich and Conchar, um, and it's going to be two hours long. And uh, no, but we're going to take everything, every player, we're going to do deep dives on, um, you know, how their year went, um, year over year analytics. We're going to go uh, player comps, projections, where we want to be. We're going to nerd out on these. So um, we'll probably re be releasing these uh, in the next two to three weeks. And then we're also going to be um, doing deep dives into uh, trades and off-season signings and just everything future-oriented for the Grizzlies. Um, so we're excited. We're chomping at the bit to to talk about all the trades that, that we've been discussing uh, behind the scenes here and sharing those with you guys. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun stuff ahead. Anything else I missed? Oh, man, that's it. Man, well, this has been an extremely fun episode. We did not come up with an official name yet, uh, so I guess we're going to have to roll with the freaking Denny's for now. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, shout out Ty Smith Sr. Follow him on Twitter. Um, but uh, for Ty and Brantley, I'm Will. Thanks for listening.